Dalton takes a shotgun snap. Quick throw. Nice. Caught by Get Green. It, it is a yeah. touchdown. Adriel Jeremiah Green. You don't live in Cleveland. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast that is still here. You're not getting rid of us, we're carrying on. Uh, we're back for, indeed, episode 80. What a landmark. Um, it's gone by in a flash, really. Uh, although we are obviously all in lockdown. So the days are kind of, you know, time gets stretched and then compressed and I don't know where I am, but... Uh, certainly these 80 episodes since we started doing it have gone by in an absolute flash um, and of course it's not just been me on the other end of the line joining me is the lock to my down the quarantine to my team the hand to my sanitizer the zoom to my chat and the jumbo pack of jaffa cakes to my lasts only one hour it's nathan palmer everybody good afternoon paul um, how are you getting on, my son? It's pretty, pretty crazy to think it's episode eighty now. We've been running this for it's got to be like two, two and a half years. We've been doing these podcasts for. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? It is sobering thought. I don't know what's more sobering: the fact that I have indeed run out of Jaffa cakes, or uh, the fact that we are on episode eighty, and the last few episodes have been weird because you're not here, and we're doing it by Skype, and I know people are doing things by Zoom and. Facebook Messenger and House Party and all these apps and whatnot. Uh, so it is weird, but I'm very glad that we're still carrying on through the madness. Do you think people want to see a live stream of us, like, you know, a live <laughs> stream of us on Zoom, actually, so they can see us doing the podcast? Do you think that's the sort of content that people are crying out for at the moment? No. <laughs> Although people are still clamouring for us to do the naked episode, and frankly, the lockdown oh. couldn't have come... I know that sounds stupid to say, I'm obviously joking, but the lock in that sense, the lockdown couldn't have come at a better time because I really wasn't well, looking forward fun, to sitting, uh, really looking, not looking forward to sitting opposite you uh, with your on balls out. So um, <laughs> I know it's that I, time, isn't it? I know that you were looking forward to seeing mine, but um, anyway, if people are joining us for the very first time, they're probably wondering what the hell this is. And what the hell we're talking about? We uh, we are Bengals UK, just two of the many people, the many Bengals fans here in the UK. And as you probably noticed, we like to talk nonsense, and we will continue to talk nonsense. Uh, our podcast is kind of slightly different from your Locked On Bengals and your uh, and your uh, Bengals Booth podcast, and uh, hear that podcast growling and the Orange and Black Insider and Chalk Talk with Matt Minich. Um, yeah, we're a bit they different. Name all our competitors, son. I don't want them in there. You cut them all out. Well, <laughs> well, you know, there's there's room for everybody, Nathan, and I think each one of those podcasts do a really good job, and uh, they each have their own different flavour. What flavour would you say we are? Do you think? I think we're like a slightly like spicy salsa. You think so? Yeah, like a, like a heat wave chili uh, Dorito, a, maybe. The reason I'm saying that is, I, I, I. I, I I feel like we bring a bit of like excitement to the podcast scene. It's a little bit different from the US, uh, the US podcasts. Um, you know, if you go back through some of the old episodes, they've been a bit, bit, a bit colourful at times and a bit, bit different. So I'm going, and I'm also like really at the moment enjoying um, getting the, the best quality tortilla, tortilla chips I can find 
and having really spicy salsas. So, so I've been getting into while I'm in the lockdowns or trying to create my own salsas and stuff. So that's what I call us some. I'd go for pickled onion monster munch. That's what I'm calling us. We, yeah. are, we are the pickled onion monster Oof. munch of the podcast world. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> pickled onion monster munch is a bit like Marmite, isn't it? It's like either it hate it or love it, which is possibly... Yeah, that's what maybe stay stuff. clear. Maybe just a good old-fashioned... Uh, I don't know. Ready sorted walkers. No, that's too boring. That's too far too boring. That's the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I am joking because Joe. The good news is that Joe Goodbury is joining us next week. He's going to make his annual appearance on Cincinnati uh, to give us the lowdown on um, on the the draft class, really, because this is what it's all about at the moment. Um, we're uh, we're at, what are we? I think we're only about ten days away from the draft, which is kind of crazy, really. Um, to think, you know, it, it is a long, drawn-out process, but we're almost at that finish line. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be, as I said last week, it'll be a much-needed relief for a lot of people, sports-wise, to get some uh, get some content out. I think you know people are resorting to watching the um, the Belarusian football league and stuff <laughs> like that at the moment. So I think it'll be quite, you know, a nice bit of um, NFL draft will be. Um, well needed, I would have thought, for a lot of people. And I read today that Roger Goodell is going to broadcast live. It's going to be broadcast. I don't know how true this is, and I can't. Don't, I'm not going to name my source. Well, the internet, so it could be anything. To be honest, Roger Goodell is going to broadcast the draft live from his basement. Can you possibly imagine? Because <laughs> I, always... I bet it's a slightly. Um... A slightly different looking basement to the uh, suburban basements that we'd be used to yes. in the UK. I'm sure it's a bit of like a, a bit of a like a war bunker down there. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he's going to have to hide away, put all his gimp masks away. I think in in the, <laughs> in the cupboard. Um, yeah, I'm more intrigued to see what Roger Goodell's basement looks like, uh, almost as much as I am to see whether we're going to draft Joe Burrow or not. Um, but yeah, Do you know what? go on. I've got a prediction for you, son, right? Go Roger on. Goodell, hated by all the fans, every year gets booed, yeah. like, absolutely incessantly. I am putting a prediction in there, and yeah. we go back and see if I'm right on this. They're going to, as a joke, to make him seem really like likeable and fun, <laughs> are going to put some booing into when he goes onto the stage and announces it's live and he's going to have a bit of a laugh at himself. I just I just want someone to hack into that system and just play booing sounds all the way through. Well, I think, I think someone's going to... I think they're going to do that anyway and I think he's going to have a bit of a laugh at it. But I, you know what's interesting? I cannot believe we're talking about cyber security on this podcast. But you've got to think that the draft is such a like target for being hacked. Well, not, not, all what, events worldwide ever, it's got to be up there, isn't it? As like a real threat from yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point, actually. And and not just the draft itself, but if you read uh, Paul Dana Jr.'s really great piece uh, on uh, on The Athletic where he chatted to uh, uh, Robert Livingston, one of our position coaches, uh, about how he's sort of communicating via, with the prospects via Zoom and all that kind of stuff. And he's got databases and he's got this and, and all that kind of stuff. It's really, really fascinating read. Uh, it's that kind of stuff, you know, like the kind of dossiers and the and the databases and the 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 kind of spreadsheets that all these coaches and scouts have uh, are kind of passing in between each, or from one person to the other. That sort of stuff is ripe for... Um, 
for hacking, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. It's definitely going to be interesting. And you wonder you wonder if the NFL has done like a sort of walkthrough. Do you know what I mean? Like a sort of a fake sort of, you know, round one draft just to see how it all plays out. Because it's going to be a very unique experience um, if there hasn't been any sort of walkthrough and they just, you know, all the teams and, you know, because you think how many people go into this draft process. I mean, in each team's war room, uh, you know, typically there's 20 or 30 people. You've got all the, you know, the sound engineers, all the, you know, the video people working remote. It's going to be a really interesting experience to see it unfold. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to see how Mike, uh, Mike Brown himself is is, is going to get on with all this new technology. I just I just picture him still trying to work his fax machine with about a minute to go before <laughs> sending the 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 name for the first round picking. You know, um, that's probably doing him a disservice. He's probably better at technology than I am, that's for sure. But yeah, it is going to be interesting, and it is only uh, ten days time. And uh, we do have a special guest this... Uh, we're going to be talking about the draft pretty much exclusively, as you would imagine. Uh, last week, we had our British Bengals uh, p- draft panel, which was great. Pete Dadswell, Sam Anger and Liam Corlett. This week, coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we've got Dave Lapham, who once again is really super interesting and uh, really a great listen because I keep banging on about it. We do try and... This sounds very sort of pompous and presumptuous but you know we did try and educate a little bit i mean i need still need to be educated about this game and all the players certainly in the draft and whatnot so and we take it for granted that everyone is kind of watching the combine or even cares about the combine you know we take it for granted that everyone's doing these mock drafts and kind of really into the players their measurements and their tape and of course not everyone is into that at all so um, we try and uh, produce something a little bit more layman-ish or layperson-ish, uh, but still try and at least try and sound as though we know what we're talking about. Uh, and Dave Lapham coming up is, is terrific for that, so stand by for Dave. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, did you see the uh, the kind of, I will say round table, but it's not, it's the, the, the kind of collective Zoom chat that Zach Taylor uh, held with people, members of the media. So Jay Morrison was on there, and uh, our old friend Jeff Hobson, Uncle Jeff, was there, and Dave himself was there. Did you catch any of that? I saw some screenshots of it. They were having a, a wonderful time. Um, I didn't actually see it all, though. <laughs> it was really funny because Jeff, bless him, looked as though, well, no, again, that's again doing Jeff a disservice, but uh, his face was a picture all throughout, and. Uh, I think Dave pressed a few wrong buttons, a few that. So it was, it's not your normal press conference, really. And uh, of course, these are not normal times. But it was kind of interesting uh, what Zach was saying. I mean, nothing extraordinary. Didn't give too much away. But I think from uh, I think Albert Breer put on a uh, or tweeted something out a few moments ago where he said that um, the Bengals have maxed out their interview time with Joe Burrow. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to be Burrow at number one. So you've gone, like, last week, I think you said you were 90% sure it was going to be Burrow. Are you going to revise that prediction this week on the Burrow meter? Yeah, I'm edging up to 95 now, I think. I'm I'm still at 98. I've not fluctuated. I There's no, doesn't seem like there's any rumblings of a trade yet. I guess if you were going to try and make the Bengals a sort of ultimatum you probably wait until the last minute to throw um the kitchen sink at them 
So I still would rule it out, but I, I'm going with 98% at the moment. Okay, another thing that we've got to mention is our weekly watch parties. We've done four now, and yesterday we did the Steelers uh, versus the Bengals, the regular season game where the Bengals went up to uh, Heinz Field and beat them 38-31, a great game. And uh, they've been going down an absolute storm, I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, they, I think they, they, they perform various... Uh, duties one first and foremost to kind of distract people from all the madness that's going on just at least for a couple of hours uh, and make it feel as though you know everyone's tuning in to something at the same time on a Sunday uh, and it also you know it allows people to see players and teams you know the great players the great teams that we've had in the past it allows people who haven't seen them before to watch them for a whole game and I think that's really important to remind ourselves of the history and it was great yesterday because we were seeing Carson Palmer in his pomp Chad Johnson Rudy Johnson Willie Anderson people on the other side of the ball people like Odell Thurman and uh, Brian Simmons and um, Tory James and Delta O'Neill and all those sort of guys and Justin Smith the great Justin Smith um, so they've been a lot of fun um, have you and of course been very lucky to get some quality intros from ex-players yesterday we managed to get tj hushmanzada uh, to introduce that game um they've been fun haven't they nathan oh they've been fantastic i think that you know that any game against the steelers is really going to get you sort of um get your tail up a bit and obviously when we go into pittsburgh and you know one of the rare occasions that we've gone into pittsburgh and um rolled them over it's fantastic to see and i think you know, full credit to you for getting in touch with some of the players and, you know, getting them on, you know, introducing the games. I think that's been a really nice touch on top of um, bringing the community together and everyone having a few drinks and a laugh and, you know, chatting about the games on Twitter. I think it's massively fueling um, the, you know, excitement for the draft, fueling the excitement for next season. And I think it'll be something, you know, going forward that, you know, I think teams might look to do that sort of the, you know, these rewatch parties during the off season because it can feel like, you know, even on a normal non-lockdown um, type of off season, it can feel very long and a bit lonely and a bit boring. So I think you might have unearthed a bit of a gem, my son. I can't take the whole credit. Uh, it was Matt Moon's idea, just, so credit. Just for... take it all, son. All right, just I'll take, take it, all. it all. Take it all. Just take it all. Revel in the glory of it all. The trouble is, every time I've mentioned uh, that we're playing classic Bengals games to like my mates, they're just they just sort of laugh and say, "What? So that's going to last like two weeks, then, isn't it?" It's like you cheeky. <laughs> and um, and um, you know, uh, but no, I mean, it obviously, trouble is, we would like raid the NFL Game Pass archives, but over here, I think after about, I don't know, I want to say 2017, they only in the UK they only play out. 40-minute versions of the games going back to 2009, which is a real shame. Um, so we sort of rely on YouTube a bit. Um, it does depend on how many classic Bengals games uh, are on YouTube. And yes, we will be going back. We're going to be playing out a few modern classics for the past three, four years from Game Pass. But uh, I've, got... I've got good ones. Um... Oh, okay, go on. I've got a good game I'd love to see. Is the A couple of years ago when we played the Broncos yes. and Peyton Manning threw that duck to the outside that Drake Kirkpatrick um, intercepted and brought it back for a touchdown. Was that Monday night? Monday night game? I think it was, yeah. yeah and it yeah. was because you know the Bengals are always so bad in like primetime games and you stay up late for them. And yeah. I remember we were on a good run that season. And I, th I, think, I think the Broncos that year 
um, went on to win the Super Bowl. Um, and I think, yeah, we, we beat them that night. It's amazing, amazing atmosphere at Paul Brown Stadium that night. Um, yeah, that's, I was well, absolutely bonkers in my living room at yeah. about four o'clock in the morning. Not for the first time. Not, not for the first time, no. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, that's certainly on the list. So um, we will be, and I think we're going to plan on playing out uh, the game against the Ravens when AJ caught that ridiculous last minute, another no, 80 yard uh, 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 touchdown pass from Dalton. See, there's quite a few from the fast. That's the yeah, thing. We were actually quite good for five years or so. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's plenty of good games to choose from. The Bengals, when you look back, I mean, you do look back and there's some, not only have the Bengals, you know, been very, very good for, you know, a period of time, sort of five-year period they were quite strong for. They won some really tight games that are all, you know, fantastic watching uh, at times like this. I mean, you even go back to sort of the Carson Palmer days. There was a couple of games where, uh, I remember Andre Caldwell caught a pass at the last minute against the Ravens. I think he did the same again against the Steelers. There was some, I mean, I remember the Bengals back in the day were referred to as like the cardiac cats and there was all these like last second comebacks. And, you know, there's a real lot of good games to choose from when you look back. I mean, the, the game against Green Bay those years ago, so, so many good ones. I mean, you're right. I watch these games and even though I know what the score is, I'm still on tenthooks. I'm on the edge of my seat. It's like against that, <laughs> against the Steelers on Sunday. It's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And it's like, oh yeah, I know what's going to happen. We're going to win. But, oh, it's exciting. Um, and of course, we haven't even played out a game from the Boomer era yet. Um, but rest assured, that will be coming very soon. Right, enough chat from us. I'm going to bring in our special guest. And here he is. It's our old friend, uh, Bengals legend, fantastic player, fantastic broadcaster, fantastic man, fantastic supporter uh, to Bengals UK, um, Mr. Fantastic. It's Dave Lapham. Dave, hello. Paul, you're Mr. Fantastic. What you do for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals across the pond is is, is really remarkable. And uh, over the years, getting out to uh, the Bengals playing over in England a couple of couple of years and meeting uh, a lot of the great people that uh, that you collaborate with uh the bengal fans in in uh in london and the surrounding areas and in uh areas in england it's phenomenal it really is i mean i i know it's made a big big impression on not only me but the entire bengals organization it's been phenomenal well that's very nice of you to say those things today but i mean i just enjoy it what's what's what isn't there not to enjoy you're talking about your favorite team your favorite plays your favorite sport and uh, if we can get hold of people like you, then it makes it all worthwhile, really. But anyway, let's not let's not just pat our own backs for about twenty minutes. <laughs> Although I'm quite happy for you to do that. Although with the size of your hands, I think you'd break several vertebrae in my back to be, backs, to be honest. But <laughs> um, but thank you again, Dave. This is like the second or third time you you've spent a bit of time was before draft. And uh, as I say, I. I love having you on because obviously you're close to the organisation, but you're very good at, at spotting good players and uh, know what you're talking about. And of course, not everyone over here, we take it for granted, really. People get into mock drafts and they watch the combine religiously. They chart measurements. They kind of hand size, you know, arm length 40 times, you know, all these kind of stuff. But not everyone does that. So we always appreciate you having having you on because... Uh, we're kind of speaking to people who don't follow that process as closely, perhaps, as a lot of other people. Um, and it's it's quite an interesting draft this year. Um, but first, I just wanted to get your real quick uh, uh, 
impressions of free agency because it's certainly certainly we knew that I think everyone guessed that they were going to be a little bit more active but the aggression that they went at it did that surprise even you you know it was uh, a little bit you know mildly I, I, I felt like they were going to definitely uh, get after it this offseason because it was the second year of the coaching staff being intact and last year Zach was hired late in the process, and some of his staff was late in the process. So they were kind of behind the eight ball a little bit with respect to free agency. They barely got the evaluation of the players that they were inheriting, um, you know, done from an evaluation standpoint. Never mind the you know free agents that were out there. It's just a little bit disjointed because of the timing of the whole thing. Sure. Well, after being together, and particularly through a two and fourteen season, and seeing what they had, more importantly, what they didn't have and being together as a staff, and then when the season ended, you know, breaking down their guys, and, and again, having first-hand knowledge of what their guys were about, and then having time to break down everybody that was going to be available as a free agent, making decisions. It was, the process was, was much, much, um, uh, much smoother and done at a higher level. So they were ready to attack free agency and attack it they did to the tune of about $150 million. I mean, <laughs> they went out and they got themselves some uh, probably – five defensive starters potentially in the class of free agency. They get a starting right guard. I mean, they get a starting nickel cornerback, a, a starting cornerback, a starting nose tackle, a defensive slash defensive tackle, and DJ Reader, who's kind of a, you know, probably the star of the class. But they, they did they did one heck of a job. Uh, DJ Reader, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, Von Bell. I mean, good players that are in the prime of their career. They've this is their second bite of the apple. They've, they've been in the league four years, and they're going into their fifth. That's just starting the prime of your career, and to get yeah. those guys who have proven they can play and still have some upside in the prime of their careers, it was very, very significant. There's no question. Yeah, I think that's what impressed not just the money side of it, but also the age of the players. We, I guess we've been used to kind of the Bengals picking up players, perhaps a little bit past their prime, Um uh, kind of solid players but not as you say entering the, the prime of their years and, and obviously they really attacked the defense so the smart money is that they're gonna go offense in the draft is it that cut and dried would you say well i think you know with the first pick of the draft they obviously will and the other thing real quick paul about all the uh free agents that they that they signed yeah to a man every single one of them is on playoff team yeah, so what they're yeah, trying to yeah. do is is bring bring guys in that know what it's supposed to look like, and and you know have experienced the playoffs. In in Josh Bynes' case, has have experienced the Super Bowl. Mike Thomas uh, that they picked up the Rams experienced the Super Bowl. You know, so what you're trying to do is is build a culture of guys that have performed at a high level and their teams have performed at a high level, and that that culture aspect of it I think is is significant as well. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's uh it's it's very interesting what they did and, and I agree with you it was very very heavy defensively obviously the first pick of the draft I you know I, I think there's no doubt it's going to be Joe Burrow right. and I think that's one of the reasons they felt like they could pay 150 million dollars in free agency mm. is you've got a rookie quarterback with a five-year contract uh, that is going to be capped you know exactly you'll be spending between 35 and 40 million dollars over a five-year time frame for him when quarterbacks are making 35 to 40 million dollars a year so now it frees up cap space to go ahead and, uh, and and accumulate some of these free agents and spend some money, you know, to get up to the cap. So I think that um, didn't tip their hand necessarily. I think everybody thought they were going to be going with Joe Burrow for sure, 
But all these moves they're making in free agency, um, you know, I think lends itself to the belief that, yeah, okay, they know what they've got. Because around the league, Lamar Jackson, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, guys that are in that first year of their contract who perform well, you can spend a lot of money surrounding them with talent. And I think that's what they're trying to accomplish with respect to Joe Burrow. Drafting Joe Burrow doesn't necessarily answer all your problems. You better do things around him. And they're doing things around him before they even draft him, which I think is a smart move. But I do think uh, the second-round pick, I'd be surprised if it's not a linebacker. I I do think that they still need to go at the linebacker level of the the defense. Uh, The only linebacker they signed was Josh Bynes, who's on the back nine. He's in his ninth year, so he's more toward the end of his career. So they still have to address that linebacker position. But after that, you know, I think the offensive line is going to get addressed. And really, Paul, the, 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 probably the, the strongest position group, the, the best value on a round-by-round basis throughout the entire draft is the wide receiver position. So if a wide receiver, say Jerry Judy for some reason mm. slid out of the first round and he's there at <clears throat> 33, they jump, they jump on that. Yeah. I, think, I think wide receiver could trump you know, maybe a bigger need at some point in the draft because the player that's available on the board is so much higher. They, they probably had him rated around higher than the guys that are thinking about drafting. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, that guy slid, and they may pull the trigger. I mean, that that you're very right. I mean, let's not talk about Joe Burrow because a lot of words have been spoken about him, and a lot of words will be spoken about him. And I think you're right. It seems, I mean, you're closer to the club than we are, but it seems the general consensus is that it's going to be Burrow number one but so it makes that pick 33 in the second round really interesting and there as you said there are very various options is trading down uh, a serious option for the for the Bengals at that point I really think it, it, it should be and I think it probably will be you know again what, what if Jerry Judy slides what mm-hmm. if there's a, a run on the running back position which is is pretty well stocked as well and a lot of people want to get their running back in the first round and, and so receivers slide a little bit. What, what if Jerry Judy taps it's just like, what if Jordan Love slides yeah. out of the first round for some reason? And here you are, day one is over. The first round is complete. Everybody has the entire night and early the next morning to reset their boards, and everybody around the league that needs a quarterback says, oh, my gosh, Jordan Love's still there at number 33? Yeah. Boom. They're going to get a bunch of phone calls. So the fact that they're, they're the first pick of the draft day one, the first pick of the draft day two, the first pick of the draft day three, when the fourth round starts, there's some activity that's going to happen there. Because when each each when each day when that when that round or two rounds ends, second and third round in day two, when the third round ends, everybody reshuffles their board. And the fourth round, very important, first pick of the fourth round. Wow, a guy I had uh, slated high in the third round still there in the fourth yeah, round. I got to yeah. call the Bengals and get that get that pick. So I think there will be quite a bit of activity and the other thing paul that uh, comes to mind is the bengals done a good job signing college free agents over the years right and when you have the first first pick of the seventh round you're done with your draft you can start beating the phones calling these college free agents trying to get a commitment out of them mm. long before most teams in the league will be able to do it yeah because chance. you're done your draft is over with yeah um let's so. break down those uh, specific um Position groups. We, we won't go through them all, but you know, say receiver, linebacker, and of course your area of expertise, the offensive line. I want to hit with it. The, as you say, the Bengals kind of went defense heavy in uh, in free agency, but there was one spot that they didn't really attack, apart from, as you say, Josh Bynes, 
the linebacker room is still thin. Who do you like at linebacker? Right. Um, and as you say, you you think that will be kind of a quite a a high pick in the in the first. You know, I want to say forget the first round, but second and third round that kind of area. Yes, I I, I think there will be uh, some activity in the in the second and third round, and potentially the second and third round both. Right. Um, when the Bengals uh, back in the uh, early two thousands. Uh, the Bengals had to rebuild their linebacker position, and they drafted uh, Brian uh, Tequil Spikes first, and they drafted uh, Brian Simmons. Yeah, you know, and 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 then and then they drafted Steve Foley in the mm. third round, and then they and then they signed a, a free agent linebacker, Adrian Ross. And they get four linebackers mm. in that same draft in free agency, college free agency. That's rare, but man, those guys all made it, made significant contributions. I'm not saying that you know that would happen again, but potentially. They could go linebacker in, in the second and third round, which would be, you know, man, I wonder, you know, what do you, what do you have left if, if there's a good offensive tackle prospect in the mm-hmm. third round, and how high do you have this linebacker rated? That's when that's when some of the uh, you know the arguments will ensue, and which coach will get up and bang his shoe on the table the loudest and, and get his uh, his particular pick. But I, I do think there are linebackers that are worthy of 33, and if there are, if there are like two or three guys. That you like at thirty-three, anybody that calls you—if if you've got, say, two or three linebackers, two or three offensive linemen, say it's four to six um, players that you like potentially at thirty-three—you mm. can move down. You can move down to thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Still get one of those players and pick up an extra second or third-round pick in so doing. So I, I do think there's a possibility of that, but. Kenneth Murray, mm. a big inside backer from Oklahoma, 6'3", 240-plus pounds. He's a run-and-hit guy, and sideline-to-sideline guy, closes on plays very well. He's an explosive tackler. Um, another guy I like out of Texas Tech, Jordan Brooks, 6 feet, 240 mm. pounds, runs a 4'5". He's got 34, 35-inch arms length. Patrick Queen, a playmaker out of LSU, uh, not quite as big, six feet, two hundred thirty pounds, but he's got some significant burst, a lot of instincts, very good in coverage, change of direction. He's a solid blitzer, more than solid blitzer. But the guy that, if this guy slides, Kevon, uh, Kevon uh, Chasen out of LSU. You like him, yeah? This kid, oh man, long, <laughs> explosive, athletic, six three, two fifty five, like Bud Dupree with Pittsburgh, matching mm. on with Baltimore. Right. He's that type of guy, you know, and I think I think you know, we definitely need inside linebacker. Do you have an edge guy like that? Yeah. That that can uh, change a game a little bit. I mean, those are some of the guys that I like at thirty three. And uh Zach Bond is another guy that mm. you know out of Wisconsin. He finished number two in the Big Ten in terms of sacks and tackles for loss, uh, to what a lot of people think is the best player in the draft, Chase Young led the uh, Big Ten in both with Ohio State. He can probably go number two. Zach Bond. A lot of people that I'm talking to around the league think he's a little bit later second round pick, right. end of second round, beginning of third. I could see if he's there to, in the beginning of the third round at pick number 65, I could see the Bengals jumping all over Zach Bond. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, depending on what kind of offensive lineman, particularly a tackle, may have slid, you know. So, but th- those are some of the guys that I'm thinking about they may have to take a good look at at the, at the uh, linebacker position. Okay, so let's get on to your uh, your position group, Dave. Offensive line. I want to ask you: Was the offensive line as bad as many fans thought it was last year? 
boy, the first half of the season it was uh, it was it was struggling yeah. <laughs> to put it kindly. I mean, they were having real real problems. They were trying to run inside outside zone in their running game, and they just weren't getting it done. And then as a result, they were overwhelmed in bad down and distance situations, and had found it very hard to protect. But the second half of the season, right after the bye week. Uh, I got to give Jim Turner a lot of credit. The offensive line coach, he said, to "Zach Taylor, look, my person, we just personnel-wise, this doesn't fit. Yeah, we're, we're, we're we can't get it done. So they went to a pin and pull situation where they're blocking down and pinning linemen and pulling other linemen, getting guys out in space and changing the whole dynamic. Instead of like two guys just coming off the line of scrimmage, kind of in a straight scheme and double teaming and trying to run to another level." They were actually angle blocking, you know, and and uh, and changing the geometry of of the defense a little bit, and mm. and they really created some criticism. Joe Mixon took advantage of it. The second half of the season, the Bengals finished sixth in the NFL rushing, mm. and Joe Mixon had you know had a big second half of the year. So I think they found something, and I think their running game, you know, if it if it picks up where it left off in the second half of the year last year, I think um, I think it could you know could be better than people think up front because you can run it it's much easier to throw the football with play action stuff and protection yeah. becomes much easier plus the fact that let's face it Jonah Williams the 11th pick of the draft didn't take a snap mm. so if Jonah Williams lines up at the left tackle position they signed uh, Xavier uh, Suaflo, um at, to, to be the right guard uh, from the Dallas Cowboys he's played with the Texans and the Cowboys and he's, he's a young player as well so you know 40% of their offensive line is going to be new right there Williams starting at left tackle and Xavier starting at right guard. Trey Hawkins had the best year of probably any of their offensive linemen. He'll return at center. Young Michael Jordan had his ups and downs as a rookie. The youngest uh, offensive lineman probably to play in the league last year, though he is he's a young blood, yeah. and I think he's got some serious upside. And Fred Johnson um, showed himself at the end of the year. Big guy, played college basketball, didn't play football until very late in his collegiate career, so he's got some athleticism and skill and I think he's going to battle Bobby Hart for that right tackle position yeah. so I do think the offensive line might be uh, you know might be a little bit better than some people are expecting right now before they address it in the draft and I think they're going to address it with at least one draft pick and probably a college free agent signing yeah. so you know there could, could be more competition uh, they did uh, they did come to contractual arrangement with uh, Alex Redman yeah. you know he was out there as a restricted free agent they re-upped with him and he's a powerful kid that has some promise, so I think I think they have a few more players that uh, that might make an impact, and people are realizing. We'll see. So does that mean? I mean, every pretty much every fan uh, mock draft has got you know Cesar Ruiz at uh, in the second round. Uh, they've got um, you know we're not going to get worse Beckton, Thomas, or Wills, but maybe an Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, Josh Jones, Isaiah Wilson, someone like that. Um, do you think it's going to be that high, or do you think we're going to be the offensive line is going to be more of a mid, a mid-round pick, sort of fourth, fifth round, that kind of area? I, th- I think there's, that's going to be the big debate when they get to thirty-three. If in fact they don't move back, or even if they do move back, if they move back, they're not going to move back too far. Where they're going to miss out on a linebacker or an offensive lineman that's still highly rated. Those are the two areas where. You know that's that's going to be the battle, uh, the linebacker uh, position group and the offensive line group. They'll be battling it out. Who who who's the better player? Who's going to give us uh, the biggest impact? You're right. I mean, you hit you hit on 
you know, worse is it's ridiculous what that guy hmm. that guy can do. Ran a four eight five forty at six five three twenty. 36 and a half vertical jump over a 10 foot broad jump. It's ridiculous. I mean, he was, he's the first true freshman starter in the offensive line since Kirk Ferentz has been in Iowa and he's been there a while. I mean, this kid is, he'll be long gone though. Wills will be gone from Alabama, Thomas from Georgia. I'm hoping Isaiah Wilson, if Isaiah Wilson is there, the other tackle from Georgia, yeah. the redshirt sophomore, six seven three fifty. he is massive and he, he'll maul you. He's a little raw. You know, he needs some work, but man, you, you got you got some clay to work with there to mold. You got a mountain of clay, right. and um, I, if that guy's there, that that's one that I'd say, "Oof, got to think about that a little bit." Will he be somebody that gives us more snaps? because you have to look at, all right, who's going to give us the most snaps? If you draft a linebacker, mm. he could give you more snaps because the weakness of the position. Plus, special teams. Yeah, if you draft an offensive lineman. Not much special teams opportunity there, other than you know lining up on field goal extra point team, mm. um, and then and then how much how many snaps will he give you from the line of scrimmage? So you have to evaluate it on not just rookie year, but over the first three years, say of his of his career, who's going to give you more snaps uh, to help the football team? That's kind of the tiebreaker, probably. Okay, uh, I'm aware that we're chatting away merrily here, um, but I, uh, so I, I don't want to go on too long because you've been very kind with your time, as usual, Dave. Um, just real quick about the wide receivers. It's loaded. There are tons of really good players out there. I think the Bengals will take a receiver somewhere. Um, people are asking why. Uh, we'll sort of explain a bit more about that in the podcast, but... Um, uh, wide receiver, who do you like, Dave? I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a ton to choose from, but have you got a particular favorite? Well, I mean, there's I do I do think that it's it's the deepest position group, like we were talking about, the biggest value on a round by round basis. But as I look to the second round, I think I think five or six may go in the first round. Mm. But guys that might slide to the second round, T. Higgins out of Clemson mm. could be there, possibly. A former teammate, Justin Jefferson, out of LSU, a junior receiver that teamed up with Joe Burrow, 6'1", 202 pounds, excellent route runner. Mm. He could possibly be there in the second round. Pittman out of USC, uh, Ayuk out of Arizona State, Rager out of TCU. Those guys maybe would be there in the third round because when we're talking third round, we're talking 65th pick. Yeah. That's like that's a late two. I mean, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're in the top 65 guys in the country – you know that's that's the beauty of what the Bengals have. Every pick of their respective round, when people say, "Oh, third round pick," you're thinking, "Oh, that guy was drafted in the hundreds. No, no, this guy was drafted 65th. <laughs> so now they went two and fourteen. It was a brutal, you know, thing they had to go through to get the privilege to do this to select first in every round. You never want to do it again. But the fact that it happened, you have to take advantage of it. And I hope the Bengals are, are primed and ready to take advantage of it because, you know, right away. Their first three picks, three of the best 65 players in the country, yeah. you're going to have an opportunity to draft depending on if you trade back or not. And the third round could be just like the second round. Mm. You know, it might be when the second round's done, I can't believe that guy's still there for the first pick of the third round. You've got to call the Bengals. Mm. I think they're going to get some action. I'm not. They're not going to trade back every round, obviously, Paul, but yeah. I think they're going to get phone calls. I think there's, there's going to be activity there. Mm. Okay. Uh, some quick-fire questions, and I'll let you go then, Dave. Um, okay. You're sitting there at 33. No one's called you for a trade, right? We have got on the board Kalevon Chason, Kenneth Murray, 
T Higgins and who else did you mention the offensive tackle uh, was it uh, Isaiah Wilson Isaiah Wilson who are you going for and you're saying nobody's calling to trade nope. back no no no, I would no trade no. back at a heart if all, if all those guys were on the board I would trade yeah, back yeah I mean that, that that would be the the ideal but I'm just just for, right. just for a bit of fun who, who who would you go for out of that sort of I think there was five players there that you mentioned. I, I probably, I really think the biggest need is the linebacker position, mm. and, uh, and and I would I would go in that direction. I'd probably take Kenneth Murray. I probably okay. would. I mean, I think not only not only has he uh, got numbers to bet. Supposedly, when he went through the interview process at the combine, off the charts, right, right, big time. Yeah. So, yeah. Good stuff, Dave. Uh, thank you so much yet again. I hope uh, I hope uh, everyone enjoyed that. And it was, uh, as I say, we try and educate as much as we uh, uh, entertain on this podcast. So uh, I couldn't think of a better person to do that than than Dave. Dave, I do hope you and your family stay safe over there. And um, thank you once again for the time. And hopefully we can talk soon again. Paul, you're the best. I hope you and your yours stay safe as well. And look forward to catching up down the road, sir. So there we go, that was Dave Lapham, and it's always a pleasure to speak to the big man. And um, he he came up with some really interesting things. Sounds like he's quite up for trading back in the second round, which I think a lot of people are. Uh, he's, he's quite high on the linebacker position, as we all are. He throws in an offensive tackle into the mix, Isaiah Wilson. And, of course, he can't discount the, the wide receivers, you know. Um, and he mentioned some names like... T. Higgins and Justin Jefferson and Michael Pittman, Jalen Rager, uh, Brandon Ayuk, and of course those linebackers again, Kenneth Murray, Jordan Brooks, Zach Bourne, Kalevon Chason, Patrick Queen. And I love the name uh, Kalevon Chason. I'm not even sure if, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But Dave sounded almost sexually excited when he uh, he mentioned <laughs> Kalevon's name. And um, Dave, what a guy. Um, always a... Always supported us uh, right from the get-go, really, and uh, we can't thank him enough. And uh, he mentioned he was really good, actually. Um, and the Bengals do have a dilemma in that second round. What do they do? Do they trade back? What's going to happen if there's one of those wide receivers there? What's going to happen if one of those linebackers are there? What are they going to do if one of those offensive linemen are there? Now, before you ch- uh, chime in, Nathan, um, you know we like to play play games on this uh, podcast. Um, we're going to play, well, it's not really a game, but I've called it Pick Six. Pick Six. Now, Pick Six is basically, there's six questions, I think, that we've been asked the most over the past few weeks. So I thought, let's just bung them all in together uh, and hopefully it'll answer some of your questions, your key questions. Uh, I say next week we'll have Joe Goodbury and of course Joe is terrific at uh, draft analysis and predictions uh, and we'll go pretty deep into the draft next week but uh, but for I'm now not playing, I'm not playing this game unless it's got a really catchy theme tune so I know you're famed for your catchy musical theme tunes so unless this one's got one I'm not interested I'll just put it I'll, I'll put one in at the start don't worry don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> So let's play pick six. It's not really, again, not really a game, but a feature, really. Pick six. Um, so, 
six questions. Six key questions that need answering. Nathan, will the Bengals draft an offensive lineman early? Yes. How early? Round three, I think. Okay, interesting. Round three, I think. Because I I have, um, for a while now, ever, actually since the end of the season, I was pretty convinced, even though a lot of fans are screaming for offensive linemen early, um, I don't think they're going to go... I think it's going to be more mid-rounds. Uh, as Dave said, there's going to be a debate there if one or two of those, someone like an Isaiah Wilson is going to be there at 33. Um, but I think that, you know, all the words that came out of people like Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor's mouth seems to suggest that they were happy with the improvement that that line made. Um, and they added uh, Xavier Suofilo um in free agency I'm not saying he's going to be the cure to all the world's ills but um, I think you know they did imp- as Dave said again you know they, they finished the back half of the season six in the NFL in rushing so there was a significant improvement after they changed their scheme so I don't think I think they're higher on this offensive line than uh, a lot of fans are so I I do wonder the- whether they and and Paul Paul Downey Jr. again in the Athletic wrote a, one of his draft uh, pieces saying that you know it could well be a mid-round lineman uh, this year. I think the Bengals to me I mean I, I, they've definitely made some moves and you know they've got people coming back like Jonah Williams and stuff but. I think the problem for the Bengals that the offensive line has really been has really like dogged them for the last couple of years, and I do think that at the moment, you know, they've got a few additional players. They're relying on a few people coming back. They're hopeful that a lot of people will take a step forward. You know, um, you know like some of those younger guys on the team, like Fred Johnson and um, people like that, but. I'd still think that the offensive line, you know, if there's injuries on that line, the depth, I think, is going to be an issue. And I, I think if there's a good player there, like, you know, you mentioned Isaiah Wilson, like maybe Austin Jackson or someone like that. If someone like that is there, I do think it's going to be tempting for the Bengals because I just think based on the sort of, you know, the Achilles heel of the team over the last couple of years, not being able to protect the quarterback and it being sort of one of the main gripes that we've had, I just feel like if there's a really talented lineman there that the team likes and fall it falls in love with. I think it's got to be, you know, even though linebacker might be a more glaring, obvious need, I do think that, um, you know, if there's good value there on a tackle, that it could be a solid pick at 33. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think, I mean, just watching the the classic games during our watch parties, I mean, we saw, we saw an offensive line with uh, Eric Steinbach and Rich yeah, Brahm yeah. and Bobby Williams, and then, Will, you know, a Hall of Fame calibre right tackling Willie Anderson and another terrific tackle on the other side of Levi Jones incredible and, uh, incredible. and then we saw in the freezer bowl the likes of uh, uh, indeed Dave Lapham and Max Montoya and Anthony Munoz uh, yeah. it makes such a difference when uh, it sounds so- like such an obvious thing to say but we've not had a good offensive line since 2016 really that's four years yeah. Uh, yeah. so when you watch these games like oh my goodness me it makes such a huge difference so yeah I agree Um, I think it is I think they will add uh, offensive line but I'm just I mean I'm not saying that I don't want them to draft 
an offensive lineman. I'm just not sure that the team will go as high on an offensive lineman than we all might. I think the offensive line is going to be interesting because obviously we're reliant on Jonah Williams um, coming back from injury. And I guess that, you know, that's one of those things, isn't it, looking at that? Because we've had that in the past um, with Cedric Abwehi when he was sort of coming back off a year's injury and everyone was saying, oh, he's just going to be like having another first-round pick. You, you know, as good as Jonah Williams was coming out of college, you know, he's had a year out of the game. He's not played in the NFL yet. You're asking a lot of him just to step in from day one and be a quality starter. Obviously, with Bobby Hart, there's concerns there. Um, Trey Hopkins is, you know, sort of average. You hope he can get better and sort of, turn himself into a real sort of top um, centre in the league. Suofilo coming in, obviously, you know, he's got some experience, but we've got to see how he performs in a new environment. So there's there's not many really sure bets, I don't think, on that offensive line. And you make, you make some really, really good points, you know, going back to some of those absolute legends um, and greats of the past on those offensive lines. And even more recently, looking at really solid starters, like we had Clint Bowling, Andrew Whitworth, um, you know, people like that that really anchored that offensive line for a long time. Um, and I just think that, yeah, there's still a few questions there. I mean, we're very reliant on people taking real steps, like Fred Johnson just, you know, turning up, a guy that's, you know, bounced around the league a bit and really, really taking a big step forward. Um, and some of the rookies from last year, you know, them taking a step forward again. So, you know, like Michael John, uh, Michael Jordan and stuff like that. So it's, it's going to be interesting to sort of monitor that, I suppose. But it's still a bit of a question mark for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, next question. Why do the Bengals need to draft a linebacker? This should be quite an easy question to answer, I would have thought. Because we haven't got many on the team. And I think that, you know, that there's enough to sort of get us through and we could play a game tomorrow. But my, my big worry, again, is that if there's any injuries to those linebackers, um, that we're in dire, dire straits. It only takes two injuries to your two starters. And there's that line, is, you know, those linebacker unit is as thin as it goes. And we, we've said in the past, you know, the two issues, the offensive line's been an issue, but probably slightly longer. But linebacker last year you know the year before that we've really seen the defense regress a bit been, been more susceptible to the run and you know we've got some sort of young players who just signed you know a new guy from the ravens we hope can sort of plug in and improve that but you know i again the depth is a concern to me if we get a few injuries there we're in trouble yeah i don't have too much to add to that i think it's it's, it's pretty plain to see why we need some linebackers i wouldn't be surprised they double dip in the draft um uh, again, Dave mentioned the likes of Kenneth Murray and Jordan Brooks and Zach Ball and Kelevon Chesson and uh, Patrick Queen. You know, all those guys are going to be around the bottom half of uh, perhaps not Chesson actually, but certainly from the from the end of the back end of the first round to the back end of the second round. And you know, you want, might want to throw in uh, the likes of Akeem Davis Gaither in there as well, who's could well be there in round three. Um, yeah, I don't need to say. Again, just watching that game last night. What I mean, what a terrific linebacking core. I mean, sadly, they only played together for about six games. Uh, we'll get to that a bit later. But you know, you had David Pollack, Odell yeah. Odell Thurman, uh, who you know who was flying around all over the place, uh, and there was Brian Simmons, who was ter who was a really underrated player. So again. Uh, I mean, that team was good, man. That 2005 team yeah, was David really good. David Pollock was a, such a sad, way, the way that panned out. He, I think he was our first overall, um, first round pick, I think about number 17 or something overall. And 
you know, by all accounts, looked like a true professional, really hard worker, good good person in the locker room. And I think it was against Cleveland. He just sort of a regular tackle on a running play, and he just completely uh, messed up his neck and could uh, medically was never cleared to play again. And you just think such a shame for a career to be cut short um, that quickly with so much potential as well. And then on the other side, Odell Thurman, obviously. Tons of athletic potential, really, really interesting player all around the ball. I think he, you know, in his first season, he was everywhere in interceptions, you know, always around the ball, but just for different reasons and off field issues, could never, um, you know, never keep himself in the league. I mean, that was the prime time for uh, the Bengals fostering their reputation for, for drafting and signing troubled players, yeah. really. And unfortunately, Odell Thurman. Uh, was one of those players. But anyway, again, we'll mention that a bit later. Right, next question. Uh, why did the Bengals need to draft a wide receiver when we have AJ Green, John Ross, Tyler Board, Alex Erickson and Auden Tate on the team? That, that's a question I'm asking, to be honest. I know we've got John Ross in a contract year and he, there's a good chance he won't be back to the team the year after, but I don't really understand the need for a wide receiver as much as most people. I think... You know, receivers are sexy players. They everyone wants to draft a sort of quick, fast, dynamic playmaker. But I'm not on board nearly as much as other people on this. I think it's more of a luxury pick, to be honest with you, only because this draft class for wide receivers is, by all accounts, extraordinarily deep, extraordinarily talented. You know, I mean, the top ten receivers this year. Uh, you know, again, by all accounts, I'm not the expert, but Boiler counts are as good as any in you know from the past decade. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. You look at C.D. Lamb. Looks like another kind of Julio Jones or whoever it might be, and uh, Henry Ruggs and uh, and all these guys. Look, T. Higgins and uh, uh, Denzel know, Mims. Denzel Mims as well, who shot up the boards. You know, I think this this is important for the Bengals because. You don't know what's going to happen to AJ Green first and foremost. Yeah, he's fair. 31. Um, it's likely that we're going to sign him to another two, maybe even three-year deal. Who knows? Um, but how many games has AJ Green played in the last two seasons, three seasons? Not enough. Um, John Ross is probably going to be on his way out because there's no way this team are going to be picking up his fifth-year option at 17 million dollars a year he just hasn't earned it enough again he's just too unreliable uh, yeah. and I don't think a changing quarterback necessarily will will make too much of a difference because the errors that John Ross makes aren't necessarily down to the quarterback they're they're down to John Ross himself he runs the wrong routes he doesn't quite fight at the end of the routes um he fumbles he you know and then he pops one for us for uh, uh, you know an amazing touchdown he makes an amazing plan you think yes this guy's got it but he's just too inconsistent for my liking so he could be gone by the end of this next season I'm unconvinced that Alex Erickson is going to be around for too much longer although I really like him yeah I agree with that I thought he had a poor year last year Auden Tate is terrific whether he's good enough to stick around for another couple of years I don't know but he certainly uh, he made some spectacular plays um, uh, last season. The only constant and the only reliable guy on that wide receiving uh, team or in that wide receiving room, to me, at this moment, is Tyler Boyd. And that's it. 
Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's sort of similar to what we were saying. And you've got, you've got to remember, we were the worst team in the NFL last year. There's going to be a lot of holes. And we're saying, you know, we were talking earlier about the offensive line. They're not being sufficient depth there. The same with linebacker. And I guess with receivers, there's enough there. You know, if everyone's healthy, that's a good unit. Like AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, either side, fantastic. Um, you know, John Ross obviously sitting there then. That's a really good trio of wide receivers. I mean, if they're healthy and they've played all season, that would be one of the better units in the league. But as you've just alluded to, with Green and with Ross, the likelihood that both of them can compete, uh, complete a full season is worrying. But I guess the issue is if you go at 33 and you pick someone like a. Um, you know, someone like a Justin Jefferson or someone like that that you, you know, pick out as saying like this guy is going to be a dynamic playmaker for us. So we're going to take a, take a punt on him. We think he's good value here. He's probably not getting ahead of any of those three players if they're healthy. You know, if, if John Ross is healthy and he can put a season together, I think he could be explosive and he could be really good. Obviously, Green's going to be your number one and Tyler Boy's going to be your number two. So, just in terms of like, you know, that 33rd pick, we need someone, for my mind, that's going to come in and definitely is going to play and going to contribute and be a factor. I just think if everything's good, they're going to struggle to do that if the receivers are healthy. Well, we'll see. We'll go We'll go uh, next week. Uh, we'll, Nathan and I will go through the picks that we want to see in each in each round um, next week. So we won't... But that's it. That's an interesting... But I do think... It's, I think if the wide receiver class wasn't as deep and wasn't as strong, then you could be looking at a much later round pick. But the fact is, there's some real talent out there in the second and third rounds. And, you know, I do think uh, there's a very strong argument to pick someone up uh, at that point because going forward, we're going to need a new star receiver. Because, you know, AJ's, AJ's coming to the end of his career or the back end of his career hopefully he gets a, a second wind with Joe Burrow coming in um, but we'll see okay uh, next I'm question just going to say one last thing son yes, I you think can. you made a really good point about Alex Erickson I think he possibly you know wasn't didn't step up as much as we perhaps would have liked last year and I, I think he's going to have a real fight on his hands to make the team this year and also you look at the emergence of uh, Darius Phillips as a return man as well yeah. I think he's yeah. he's his plays could be under threat. Um, we'll see. Uh, right, next question. Why do the Bengals need to draft a pass-catching tight end? Again, this should be an easy one to answer. Yeah, I mean, losing losing Tyler Eifert, obviously, you know, there's a hole there. Um, Drew Sample. Um, you, you forget Drew Sample was a second-round pick, and you think that, you know, the production you expect from second-round picks, you know, he did a little bit last year. We obviously want to see a jump um, from him, and that's going to going to be interesting but CJ Zara I mean you know I've been a bit not a critic of his because I've met him he's a top bloke he's a big big guy I mean you're certainly not going to miss him when you're throwing the ball <laughs> to him but um we do need more production out of that and I think for Joe Burrow you know if he's coming in and he's the guy that's a position that we desperately do need um you know firstly some depth but secondly someone next season if it's sample making the the step up if it's Uzama really sort of you know, proving his worth with that new contract. We do need a tight end, um, a sort of reliable tight end over the middle that can make a difference. I mean, you just look at, um, you know, the teams that, uh, that were successful last year, you know, Travis Kelsey over at the Chiefs and, um, you know, people like that that make a real difference to a team as sort of a reliable option just over the middle of the field. Um, so it's, it, I, I really desperately hope we can get a pass catching tight end, maybe round three or four if there's someone 
uh, value there. I'm not not sure the way the, the draft's going at the moment that Cole Komet probably is going to be there in the third. I think he might go at the end of the second, but um, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see. Yeah, I can't disagree with all that, really. Yeah, you know what? I think Drew Sample's going to be fine next year. Um, I, I mean, I really hope he does, because obviously the Bengals drafted him in the second round, and if he doesn't, they're going to get a lot more stick than they already have done. And, of course, his mum and dad are really, really nice. I met him, met them in the uh, Admiralty last year, and a shout-out goes to Andrew, uh, Andrew Sample. Uh, if he's listening, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I hope Drew does good because I think he could be a really decent all-round tight end, good blocking, you know, passes, catches some important catches. But, yeah, absolutely, we're going to be drafting a pass-catching tight end this year, I would imagine. And the final question, Nathan, in pick six. Pick six. Is... Why toilet rolls? <laughs> Why toilet roll? Why did people go nuts on toilet rolls? I'm still not 100% sure. It's about one of the only things really in supermarkets that you can sort of assign as, you know, almost like an essential perhaps. I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Because you also saw people like stockpiling like bottled water, which makes absolutely no oh, sense. No, right? <laughs> also, you know what's gone now? So like. What? Normality has ensued basically now. Like, you know, at my local supermarket, they've got stacks. First of all, they had stacks full of kitchen rolls. So you could kind of like, you know, make use of that if you really needed it. Um, Now they've got toilet roll bags. It seems like, you know, everything's sort of returning to normal. Flour is gone. There is no flour because every out there is baking they're cooking they're doing cakes they're doing easter bits and pieces oh no, it's suddenly turned into a nation of bakers and it's like when Literally, did, they, when did, that, nothing. When did that ever happen all these cake decorations there's nothing to be seen mate i know so what round are we going to draft some toilet rolls do you think quite high go first round mate first, first round. we're going to tr- trade up for for that into the get first down to, get down to costco maybe yeah. 80 pack of them Trade away Joe Burrow, the first ra- first overall pick, for about three more first round picks, and just fill it all with toilet roll. I think quilted, and, and excellent quilted flower in the late rounds. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Right, uh, this is going to be uh, quite a long uh, podcast, but I guess we're on lockdown, so uh, why not? Um, we've got some questions from our lovely listeners, so thank you once again for uh, uh, corresponding with us and keeping the flame alight. Um, we can be reached, of course, on Twitter at Hooday underscore UK and on Facebook at Bengals UK. Right, let's start. I put it out there today. Uh, what players would you most like to be quarantined with? Which Bengal player? One Bengal player that you'd like to be on lockdown with? And also, which player? And this goes back to what we were talking about, Odell Thurman and David Pollack, who, whose, whose careers were cut short for very different reasons. Uh, which other players um, you wished would have carried on for the Bengals whose careers were cut short? So uh, I asked those questions and just people generally to ask questions as they do and and uh, give shout outs. So let's get started. Richard at Always Open 85. If I had to pick a player in my time watching the Bengals that I wish could have had a longer career without the drama off the field, it would be Odell Thurman. Guy was a stud for a short time. Such a waste. Absolutely, Richard. Absolutely. Uh, Memphis Soul Stewart, Stewart Bears, 688. What time 
what what time in the UK is the first pick of the draft announced? I don't want to miss it. I don't know for sure yet, uh, Stu, but I'm going to guess it's going to be about 1am uh, this time. So uh, you'll you'll all see it on social media, but yes, only 10 days to go. Uh, Odat at DZE. Question. If you want to get to the playoffs, you've got to win the division. So if you had a voice in the draft room... Would your board change at pick 33 or 65 based on what the Ravens take five places before you? No, you can't. You can't let what other teams do influence what you do at all. You know, there's too there's too many people on a roster. You you got your own needs. You you're also going to be looking at who's the best player available at the time. I think you've just got to stick to stick to your board and stick to what you need and make a make the sort of best judgment based on that. No, I agree. I mean, you've got to be quite narrow and focused. Obviously, you keep an eye on which players are going off the board and all the rest of it, but you can't keep an eye on... Oh, you just can't... And as fans as well, I hate... The one thing I hate about the draft is when fans kind of go, oh, we could have taken this person and that person. And it's like, so could have every other team in the NFL. It's just that, you know, there happens to be a lot of good players in the draft. So you've just got to make sure that you hit on the person that you select. You've done all your homework... Uh, you've got your board all straight and you're ready to go. It's almost like taking a penalty. Decide what you're going to do before you take it and don't change. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Quite a lot. Son, have you, ever, have you ever had in your time as a Bengals fan a moment yeah. you can remember when the Bengals had a pick yeah. and you screaming for them to take someone and they didn't? Um, no, not really. It did, did or didn't work out? No, not really, because I try and I try and get away from that. Really, because the thing again, the thing about the draft is, all these, you know, we all have opinions and we all kind of get into our own players. If we watch it, you know, our own draft panel will like a certain type of player, and they named some names last week. Dave was really into um, Chason, and it's like it doesn't matter what any of us think. It's about the team. And if you go down a road of investing too much uh, emotional currency into a player and they don't pick it, you're either going to be angry or disappointed. Uh, and life's too short, really. So I try not to get involved in that. Two for me that I remember vividly, right? The time we took Jerome Simpson, yeah. Deshaun Jackson was available. Yeah. And I remember, this is before I really knew much about him, and I watched uh, you know, a few videos. I was like, he seems like an exciting player. Like, and people were hyping him up a bit. And I thought, God, if we got him in the second round, that'd be phenomenal. Sat there, God, get Deshaun Jackson. Come on, Deshaun Jackson with the X pick in the second round, the Cincinnati Bengals select. And I said, Jerome Simpson, Coastal Carolina. I was like, where the bloody hell is Coastal Carolina? And that, that pick never worked out quite as well for us. And then the other one that I remember vividly because of the hype uh, surrounding and coming out of college was the 21st um, pick in the 2010 draft. Um, Des Bryant had fallen down the ball. I think a few people had some concerns about him or were a bit worried about him. But obviously the talent was there. And I was like, go on the Bengals, just take Des Bryant. Go on, that'd be exciting. And we took uh, Jermaine Gresham, who... Gresham was one of those picks that you probably say you know, about average. I mean, he did, I think he did go to the Pro Bowl, Gresham. And Twice, he was, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. a bit of a unit when he got the ball. He's a big lad over the middle, but just could never sort of like take his game to the next level. But um, yeah, two that I remember that stand out for me. Hooday and the Blowfish at Bright Dugan NFL. I always wish To could have come back for the for at least another season. Imagine they still draft AJ Green number four overall the next season, 
and you have AJ Green on one side and Hall of Fame Terrell Owens on the other maybe it wouldn't have worked maybe it would have it's not a bad shout yeah it's interesting. back in the old T.O. and Ocho Cinco days what what a crazy time that was absolutely yeah um, we should try and find a game with those two because they Terrell Owens wasn't bad for us at all it was just it just felt like a bit of a laughing stock really <laughs> It's crazy when you think T.O. played for the Bengals. I know, right? I know. You do completely forget that at times, don't you? Yeah. So it sort of like slips the memories. It was a pretty bad year, that one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it shouldn't have been a bad year because we had some good players. Anyway, uh, Dreams of Woodness at D. Woodness. Hello, Jimmy. That's Jimmy in Japan. What has Dave been watching in the lockdown movie-wise? Um, now, uh, Jimmy didn't know that the interview was pre-recorded, but I like to think Dave... Uh, think... Or he's on the Westerns. I think Dave Lappin would be on the Westerns. Either that or sort of German surrealism or expressionism. <laughs> Ingmar Bergman films, perhaps. Or just good old heterosexual porn. I don't know what Dave's um, into. Uh, Chris Hood at Two Day CP. Uh, gotta be at the iconic Icky Woods. Probably as the answer to both questions. Seems like such a great guy. Would love to get to meet the Ixta one day if I get to the US again. Yeah, Icky is a prime example. Had like a blazing start to his career and it only lasted for about a year and a half. Such a shame. Same with David Pollack. I mean, not, I mean, yeah, David Pollack's lasted, career lasted for, you know, what, a, a season? Just over a season? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you've got the likes of Odell Thurman and Chris Henry, who, who, who suffered the ultimate kind of uh, demise, I guess, in that really such sad story when he passed away. But when oh, he was right. on, when he was on the team, he, he he had all the potential and all the talent, but uh, he couldn't get it together. And Odell Thurman's substance abuse issues—you'd look back to Stanley Wilson, who was a good player. And if you remember our interview, Sam Weish, uh a while back, he was talking about how. He thought Stanley Wilson could have been a bit of a game-breaker in that Super Bowl, but, of course, they found out he'd uh, taken cocaine the night before the Super Bowl. Uh, and then, you know, you look all the way back to... Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my one that I wish... The player that I wish uh, could have carried on. I'm going to go all the way back to the late 60s, early 70s. Um, and it's Greg Cook, you know. He was touted to be, you know, the best in the NFL for 10 years you know that's what Paul Brown said he really believed that he was going to be the, the NFL's next superstar but um, it didn't quite happen he got injured and he you know with the medical technology back then he just couldn't recover so he had an, again one incredible season uh, and then kind of you know he burnt brightly uh, but uh, was snuffed out unfortunately uh, but you know we got Ken Anderson you know three years later so it wasn't all bad but yeah just imagine greg cook throughout the 70s that would have been really something no absolutely um for me i for me it's i, I think thurman like you know that game yesterday really sort of reignited my memory of that and i was a really big fan of his back in the day and you do just think what could have been but the player for me that stands out as someone that i think such a shame that he didn't pan out longer and, you know, have a bit more stability there is Vontez perfect. Mm. Because I think that every team dreams of having like a sort of absolute, 
you know, sort of bad guy, tough linebacker, sort of leader of the defense, the captain, you know, ruffles a few feathers and big tackles, sort of the heartbeat of that defense. And at times, Burfitt was fantastic. You know, he read the game very well. He, you know, sort of was the guy on the field calling the plays for the defense. He had, he really added some toughness to it. Um, a lot, he's a fan favorite. A lot of people really liked him. And you just feel like if he could have kept that together, stayed out of trouble with the league and, you know, just sort of kept his head together and, you know, literally kept his head together with the amount of concussions that um, fell on his way as well, injuries and stuff. It, he really could have been, you know, a, a real sort of perennial Pro Bowl player. Um, the potential and the talent was there. It was just the fact that, you know, all this trouble with the league and the extracurricular and whatever else. But really unfortunate. I think he could have been a really like long term uh, bit of a legend for the club. Absolutely. Uh, Jamie at Trequart Beaster. Uh, the Bengals UK watch parties have been great and I've loved the intros from TJ and Kitner. His question is, would you trade down from 33? Now, Dave made a pretty strong argument and I think there is, a, 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 I was going to say probability, certainly a possibility that the Bengals are going to take some calls. Um uh, at the you know at the start of that second round, what just in a word, Nathan? We'll talk about it a bit more next week. But what do you think? Would you trade down from thirty-three? I, I said last week. I think there's a really strong chance, and I think I predict that the Bengals will trade down. I think they're so used to having more, more than seven picks, they'll want to you know stockpile another couple. I think if you traded down, sort of you know five to ten spots or something like that, you pick yourself up a third or fourth round pick. You'd be quite happy with it. Probably a, you know maybe a fourth or something like that. Um, the only way they won't, I think, is if they're sat there and someone, you know, has sort of shockingly fallen out of the first round. I think Kenneth Murray was sat there at 33 or maybe even Patrick Queen and you really felt linebacker was where you wanted to go. I think the Bengals would pull the trigger. But I think if there's no one that's absolutely glaring value, there's a lot of guys that I think they'll like that will be in that range and that one of which would still be available if you traded back five, ten spots like a Cesar Ruiz or someone like that. Well said. Um, Aurelius FC at Aurelius13. Just wanted to say thank you for uh, Bengals UK watch yesterday. That was the closest to normal in a while, and that's exactly why uh, we do it, Aurelius, and very really pleased that you'd enjoyed it. Bengals Admiral at Admiral Bengals. Gentlemen, we, uh, he's got a couple of questions here. So uh, we take Burrow number one and we trade back from 33. Percentages of AD being traded rather than cut that's the first part of his question we haven't talked about Andy Dawn in a while have we Sam we haven't and it all could happen uh, in the next couple of weeks because he may get moved on before the draft after the draft who knows but um, ooh, I'd say I still think there's a 70-30 chance that he's going to get cut rather than traded yeah, I think you're right. I think that's maybe about even right. more because I do think, as we've said before, the Bengals have lost leverage on that that whole situation. And I think honestly, uh, I think the Patriots are just biding their time and waiting for the Bengals to cut him. And as soon as they do, they will swoop in and get him. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're. Right. I do think you're bang right. And I think they'll be able to get him on a slightly better contract, possibly than um, the contract they'd inherit if they traded for him now. I don't. I think the Bengals probably would have wanted a third round pick at least for him, and to not have to spend that and possibly get him on a better deal. I think, you know, I, I think you're right. I think we're looking at a seven, yeah, about seventy percent chance that he gets cut, which is a, a real shame. 
Um, I, I don't think there's any chance the Bengals keep him on the roster and you know give him as a sort of um, you know someone to train Joe Burrow. I, as much as that would be a, a lovely thought, and I'm sure you know Dalton would be a, fan, a fantastic mentor for Joe Burrow. I just can't see them stumping up the cash for it. Next part of Bengals Admiral's question is: Does Giovanni Bernard warrant his contract versus production? I see him being traded. Uh, I think we, we've spoken about this before, and I think we're both a no on that one, even though we both love Gio, right? Yeah, 100%. I, I don't think anyone would trade for him. I just don't think that anyone would want to take on that contract. Um, there's so many running backs, you know, coming out of the draft each year that you kind of feel like you could pick up any running back in the sort of mid-rounds and they could come in and, you know, really give you some production. I just don't think that the value would be there for Gio. He's, you know, it's getting slightly longer in the tooth now. Um I just don't think people will want to pay that contract unless it's a running back that's going to be, you know, sort of top half of the league in terms of production. So I think if anything, he's going to be looking. I'm not sure what the, you know, what the cap situation is in terms of any dead money or anything. But I, I think that, you know, Gio might be um, certainly fighting for his place, especially with all this Joe Mixon contract talk bubbling around. Mm. And Bengals Admiral says, I'd bring back Slim, Chris Henry. Uh, which is a good shout. We've, we've mentioned Chris's name there. And stick me down with number 96. That boy can cook. And obviously he's referring to Carlos Dunlap. That's a good shout. So Bengals admin would like to be locked down with Carlos because of his cooking skills. Um, Sam Anger at Sam underscore Anger. Hey up, lads. I didn't try and do an accent there, but when you're saying hey up, lads, you can't really not do an accent. Anyway. Boys, even if we finish on a losing record, what do you want to see from Burrow as a positive going forward? I think you've got to... I mean, the amount of hype with Joe Burrow, you kind of think you're almost expecting him to just like completely tear the NFL in half. But I think you want to see him go... If he plays a full season, he starts. You want to, I'd want to see him win at least six games... And I'd want to see him go over 3,000 yards and really bring, you know, really inject some lifeblood into the fan base, the crowds, um, look like he's learning, be a good leader in the community and really establish himself as the face of the franchise. I think that would be a sort of fairly, um, you know, a fairly good start to his career in year one. Absolutely. And I've always said, if we can get the same sort of production that we got out of Andy Dalton, a second round pick in his rookie year... Uh, I'm not saying a playoff appearance. I'm just saying production on the field. Then yeah. I'll be happy. And I, like you were saying, I want to see a bit of um, uh, pizzazz, a bit of uh, personality, and a bit of fire and passion. And I want to Gino Chequar or whatever. Exactly, a bit of that thrown in for the mix. And I think uh, Burrow will do that. So I mean, first and foremost, I want to see him adapt to the NFL quickly. I think we all do. Uh, and then whatever comes, comes, you know. Uh, and more importantly, I want to see the team build around him as well to give him, you know, we've got weapons. I want to give him a solid offensive line. I want to give him a defense that will keep us in games. Uh, and hopefully he'll he'll do the business. Sam also says, Paul, you're kidnapped, but you get one album to listen to. What is it? Oh, I hate these questions because I've got about 50 million albums. Uh, it's a toss-up between... Uh, Fugazi, uh, Steady Dart of Nothing, which no one's ever heard of, but that's okay, because he's asking me whether what I would like. And also, or uh, New Order Substance, which is a bit of a compilation album, but 
Uh, might go for New Order because that's got a bit of everything on there. You're telling me you wouldn't go for 80 episodes of Cincinnati from 1 through to 80? What, an album of the best bits of Cincinnati? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, a good shout, actually. Uh, Nav- Cincinnati moments. <laughs> Might be quite a short uh, album, to be honest. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Sam also asked Nathan, to this day, what is your favourite Solid Andal name out of the UK lot? Oh, God. And um, also, Chris Hood also said... Uh, Nathan, I hope you get a pleasure dome of solid, solid handles in this episodes, and there's been none so far. Mate, it's an absolute disgrace, and it's almost perfectly timed with this quarantine. Like, has the quarantine and COVID nineteen knocked out all the solid handles from well, messaging in Cincinnati? Like, I certainly hope not, because I haven't had a solid handle in nearly three weeks now, which is um, which is rather worrying. Um, in terms of the best solid handle, I mean, Mike Smith. Uh, actually changed his um, his handle to at solid handle so that's a firm favourite of mine uh, what other ones have we had son they remind me of some of the better she, ones she gave shiny shoes <laughs> well, is that a handle though is that just the name <laughs> I don't know I just really like it and I really like saying it in that voice as well um, what was your solid angle I think it was Dutch Bath Stuart Davis at Dutch yeah. Bath <laughs> That was quite. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Slam dunk the funk. Duncan's... Yeah, that's always a perennial. He's been a bit quiet recently. Is Duncan? I hope he's all right. Um, right. Joe Burrow's petite hands at bunny underscore ninety one. Uh, I'd like to know if Dave thinks the combine is looked too far into regarding O Lyman after how well Orlando Brown has started his pro career, and with questions being asked about Isaiah Wilson's athleticism despite looking good on tape. Obviously, Joe Burrow's petite hands didn't know it was a pre-recorded interview, but I think that question still stands as an interesting one. I think it just goes to show, not the lottery of the draft, but sometimes, you know, you can see measurements, you can see interviews, you can see, you know, uh, attitude and all the red flags, and yet the, the tape still speaks for itself, really. Um... I think that I think most scouts will say, you know, yes, they go with measurables, but the tape does not lie. So, um, and obviously, Dave really loves Isaiah Wilson. So, there we go. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's funny this week, isn't it? Obviously, because the pro days haven't been able to go ahead, and I think it's going to be interesting in the late rounds this year with people not able to go and visit with prospects and actually see them in the flesh at their pro day and talk to them in person, which does make a big difference for things like this. Um, and you see some of the workouts some of the players have been doing and running 40-yard dashes sort of, you know, unofficially on video with people sort of showing the stopwatches to the cameras and stuff. And even Tua um, Tagovaiola doing his, I'll probably pronounce that wrong, but him doing his sort of workout, you know, just in some sort of school gym. I mean, it really, you know, it's really going to be difficult, I think, for teams this year with sort of taking gambles on guys they're not 100% sure on, not being able to see them, you know, in the flesh at their pro days and stuff. So... Mm. Yeah, might be a wild ride. Indeed, and that ride is set to continue next week. That's all we've got time for. Thank you for your questions and your correspondence. I think this episode might be running in about an hour and a half, so apologies for that. Uh, But still, I hope you enjoy it. Anyway, we'll be back next week, as I say, with Joe Goodbury, the king of the internet. So um, he's going to be around paying us his annual visit, and that would be good to catch up with Joe. Uh, but in the meantime, you can get us at today underscore UK and Bengals UK on Facebook. Uh, we'll be announcing who the next watch party 
participants will be. Obviously, the Bengals will be one of them. Uh, but yes, we'll announce that tomorrow on Tuesday, I think. Uh, so in the meantime, be cool, stay safe, and it's a who day from me. And who day from me. Cheers, guys. It should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.